I was writing the book and I'd been thinking about, you know, broad beam and narrow beam attention and what it all meant. And anyway, I went out for a walk and I was walking along the street just outside my house and a woman walked past me with her dog. And suddenly the dog jumped up at me on its hind legs, you know, really loud barking, very aggressive. And the woman, you know, was sort of pulling it back with, on its leash. And she said, sorry about that. He's, he's normally fine. It's, it's the cone. And I thought, it's the cone. Because the dog was wearing a veterinary cone, mm. you know, one of those yeah. cones of shame, as they call them, yeah. like an Elizabethan rough collar, <laughs> you know. And it, I thought, yes, of course. And, and it's true, you know, you, you can read about it. Studies have been done to show this, that one of the reasons they get aggressive when they wear a cone is because their peripheral attention has gone. So with the narrowing of attention comes fear and aggression. And you look at how long we spend on our mobile devices every day, you know, on average three hours a day looking at our phones. And you look at the way that attention has narrowed in the last 20 years or so in this technological age, and you can't help feeling that this fear and aggression that's around today has a great deal to do with it. And welcome back, everybody, to the Uncensored CMO. And have I got a treat for you today. I've got a returning guest, Mr. Orlando Wood, author of The Acclaimed Lemon, launched in 2019 by the IPA. And in fact, their most successful publication to date. If you've heard me on the podcast talk about Lemon before, you'll know how much esteem I have for the book. It is both profound and extremely practical. Only Orlando Wood could combine classical music, art history, contemporary culture and advertising effectiveness into one book. But it's two years since he wrote the book and a lot has changed. There's been a pandemic and the technical revolution continues. And so Orlando is back with more. Now to say this is even bigger, even better and even more profound would probably be an understatement. But Orlando has gone and done exactly that. His new book called Look Out is available now. In fact, it's it's launches on the very same day as this podcast, and it is extremely impressive. It's 50% bigger, I believe, and it is even better. So it's an absolutely amazing book. What I will say to you is my conversation with Orlando only just touches the sides. This is one of those books that you really have to read. It is full of amazing insights, lots of wonderful charts, and some incredible references to history and culture as well. And I think it really is a book for our time. It really talks to some of the challenges we're facing, not only in advertising, but also in our culture and society more broadly. It is tremendously profound. So I've got uh, my conversation with Orlando. He is absolutely entertaining as always, extremely insightful and does what only Orlando Wood can do in how he looks at the world. So without further ado, let's get on with my conversation with Orlando Wood. Hello, John. Hello, Orlando. And we've, we've spoken um, a couple of times, in fact. We talked about the crisis in creativity during, uh, of course, COVID pandemic last yep. year. And uh, also, Actong, referencing your work on attention yes. and what role that plays. And I'm very excited because you are launching a, another book 
So two I years, am. almost two years today, would it be? Yes, pretty much. Pretty much two years today. So um, and we're going to F Week in 2019 at the, the launch of Lemon, which has been a big success. We'll, we'll briefly talk about that. But you are launching your brand new book. So um, as I think this might be, is this the first podcast you're doing? I think it is on this subject. So th- this counts as a world yeah, you, exclusive, you've got does an exclusive it? Exclusive here. Okay, ladies yeah. and gentlemen, this is the world exclusive. Yep. Orlando Wood, can you reveal the title for your for, for your new book? Well, the book is going to be called Look Out. Oh, okay, intriguing. Yes. Can you get, can you can you tease us with a little bit more? Why, why is it called Look Out? Well, it's called Look Out for two reasons, in two senses of the word Look Out. Really, Look Out because I think we need to watch out and be careful the kind of world we're living in today and the kind way advertising reflects the world we're living in today but it's also look out in the sense of we need to sort of look out we need to turn our attention outwards as an industry because there is increasingly this sort of left-brained way of looking and doing advertising Mm. And that's not the sort of advertising that captures people's attention, as I show in the book, and not the kind of advertising that elicits an emotional response that puts things in long-term memory. And we're going to need that kind of advertising more, not less, in the digitally disrupted world that we're moving into. Well, I wanted to ask you about that because quite a lot's happened since you wrote Lemon. It has, <laughs> yeah. You know, talk about the world, the world changing yeah. in front of us, literally in front of our eyes. So I wanted to briefly just check in on Lemon. How has... How has Lemon gone down? And what have you found the response to your, your book? Well, it's, you know, I've been absolutely thrilled by the, the response to it. it. It sort of touched on something that I think people could, could sort of feel, but perhaps no one had articulated quite in that way before. And I've been invited in to talk to all sorts of clients and agencies because they recognise that there's some truth in it, you know, I'm yeah. pleased to say. And that... that Advertising has become a bit mechanistic and, uh, you know, rather didactic and that we need to create work with a bit more charm and perhaps even humour. Yeah. We'll come back to charm and humour, of course, in a minute. What, one of the things I, I, I found about Lemon was it was both incredibly profound and incredibly practical. I mean, it, it's quite astonishing that in one book you can go from sort of art history, 15th century paintings to a very detailed understanding of the precise features in advertising that work. And, and what struck me actually was, you know, it, it's an advertising book, I suppose, because yeah. you, know, you do a lot of work in advertising, it's printed by the IPA. But actually, it talks a lot to culture, doesn't it? it and, does. and how, I know you draw on, you know, Ian McGilchrist's work and how the, the, the different parts of the brain attends the yes. world. But it's fascinating how you connect that to culture. And how and changes in cultures. I thought that was a really well, fascinating. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, advertising reflects the culture it's made in, doesn't it? And and also has a role in sort of leading that culture as well. You know, it's like yeah. a bit of bit of both. And you know, I have Ian McGilchrist to thank for that brilliant understanding of how culture sort of changes in different periods of history. And sometimes, you know, you, you, we have this tendency, I think, today to look downwards and look inwards and look ever closer at the detail. But sometimes you've got to go up, yeah. you know, to get the sort of helicopter view of what we're going through at any given time. And only by looking back at history sometimes can you get a sense of what we might be going through today. And I, I lean even further into the sort of cultural yeah. dimensions in the new book before giving, you know, some guidance and hopefully inspiration on the kind of work. Well, the guidance is great. And I have to, I have to compliment you on that because I think I found the very practical 
practical application of lemon and in a way you look at advertising once you've read it you look at advertising differently and you start to see the sorts of things that you're talking about and how the, the features of the left brain we're seeing dominating more yeah. you know and, and less use of the features of the right brain which you know incredibly practical i mean even going back to our kind of system one work and how we've incorporated your work into even our reports that we do mm. when we do advertising testing mm. and that little magical you know I, i'll leave a link actually in the in the podcast notes so people can try it out themselves but even our you know ad testing is using your left and right brain features to explain to people why you know, advertising yeah, well, these, is working in the way it is. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fundamental to understand these things to, so you, we kind of know what will connect with people. Yeah. And uh, that's where Ian McGilchrist's work is so brilliant because it helps helps us to to see what it is that captures and holds people's attention, you know, and and what elicits an emotional response. And it's and it, an understanding, I believe, of the two hemispheres yeah. of the brain really does help us to, to, to move things forward. Well, the, with, what you said there is so important because it, it, it really comes to the business case for this as well. Because, you know, again, you know, it's profound, it's practical, but it's, it, it's also based on what works as yeah. well. And, and that, you know, of course, you know, we're, we're, not, we're not here just to have fun, although it is fun, of course, you know, <laughs> but we're also here to deliver results. And what I, what I love about it is it's so practical, but it also it delivers real tangible performance. And you, what you do in the book, of course, is provide the evidence for why, you know, right brain features tend to yeah. create more attention, tend to connect emotionally and tend to connect to business results. So I think that's... Um, well, hopefully it gives the left brain argument for the right brain for right brain yes, creation. Yes, yeah, the, the rational argument yes. for emotion. Uh, uh, and, you know, in a sense, I think of myself as the corpus callosum, the kind of, the, you know, Very the, good. The, 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 the sort of thing that connects the left and the right brain and, and sort of tries to make sense of it. Tries right, to, so. Well, you do that exceptionally yeah. well. Listen, let, let's, let's come on to what's changed in the last two years. So what, what I'm intrigued to know is, is is you wrote lemon and, yeah. and you know from what i understand best-selling publication that the ipf produced mm-hmm. so congratulations thank you i know you know we at system one have been incredibly grateful for your your work and and the feedback has been you know unbelievable really and and, and great i, I should say unbelievable unbelievable in the night you know very believable <laughs> but well, also you know very kind impressive. of you say so i think yes. <laughs> believe it unbelievable in the positive sense of the yes. word not, as yes. in the, uh, not that you didn't couldn't think quite it wasn't going to happen exactly yeah. yeah which has been tremendous so What's well? I got two questions really. What's changed in the past two years? I mean, I know it's an obvious question. Yes. But also, what's changed? But also, what inspired you to decide that another book was needed? Well, obviously, we've uh, been through a period of isolation, and in in some senses, we've all kind of detached a little bit from the world around us. We've had to during the pandemic, and this is not particularly good for us and our mental health or even our physical health and so there was there was a, a sense that you know this sort there was a growing sense i think of detachment certainly i felt it you know working from home quite a lot but this was actually something that was happening in culture already over the last 10 15 years i believe that culture has lost some of its vitality and certainly it has in advertising if you look at advertising as a barometer for it and by that I mean you know a focus on the living connection humor the way people connect you know with each other on screen and at the same time I was having lots of conversations you know during the 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 last 18 months really as a result of Lemon with CMOs and with senior people at agencies as well. And pe- my conversations with CMOs 
were were very interesting because they were suggesting that you know they were finding it difficult to get the kind of brand building work that you know I describe in Lemon get it to get it made and it was increasingly a frustration for them and it they were saying you know can you come in and talk to my agencies please you know so that was one thing that was happening and at the same time you know agencies seemed very supportive and keen and keen for for me to get in front of their clients too so i was invited by a lot of agencies to talk to their clients and so it just sort of felt that there was a a, a lack of either understanding or confidence in brand building advertising mm. the sort of advertising that you know captures people's attention and holds holds it and that that we were sort of l- losing the skill and experience perhaps to do it and that's certainly borne out by work by the IPA themselves in conjunction with the FT. Mm. So they've done surveys, you know, amongst senior business leaders who claim to have a good understanding of brand building advertising, but actually when you probe a little further, don't really, I think, understand how it, what it is and how it's done. And there's a sort of lack of confidence in brand in a world that's become technologically orientated with a more linear and direct thinking style you know a, a, a new new habits of thinking have developed in the last 10 or 15 years this often happens when there's a new technology you know you kind of all hands to the pump on the new technology and and it changes you know we create we, sh- we shape our tools and then thereafter they shape us you know you end up um with a very different way of thinking and it captures the imagination of of, of the world and suddenly we've forgotten how to do something that was you know, second nature to us, I think, in, in, in 20 or so years ago. So I thought there was there was a real need for uh, a guide, really, an advertising guide, which is what this new book is, to show the benefits of uh, brand building advertising, show the sorts of features that, that generate that emotional response, that capture that attention, and that, that, you know, also gives some inspiration and further evidence for the sorts of things that work. And that's what this book does, I hope. Excellent, excellent. And if I can ask you, what's been the process like of writing a book? Oh, I, mean, I, mean, I mean, lots of people, you know, imagine what it's yeah. like. What, what has it been like for you? D- I, this time different from, from the first time. Lemon was, you know, first of all, this book is, bi- is bigger than Lemon. So it's, it's 50% longer than Lemon. It's going to be about 180 pages long, but about the same price. Don't worry. Easy to read. You, you're very uh, yeah, kind I, I, and gave well, me a preview of the book. Uh, and thanks. Actually I was, it was, at first I was like a bit overawed by 180 pages. My word, I'm going to have to clear a weekend to you know, get through it. But <laughs> it, it, won't, it won't take that it, long. It won't. But actually, no. uh, well, A, your writing style is, is, is so beautiful and easy to oh, engage. Well, but, but you've really blended lots of imagery and, and some wonderful charts in there as well. So, and, and wonderful summaries at the end of each chapter as well, which kind of guide well, you I, to the main point. I so it's exceptionally well well delivered as well. Well, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, it's been, it's been I, I basically, if you're trying to write a book during a lockdown, I wouldn't really recommend it just because it's, you know, you sort of, it's helpful sometimes to be out talking and connecting with people and chatting about what you're doing. You, you do need some time away, you know, just yourself, just to focus and write. But, you know, you kind of, you do need to check in with people. So it's, it's, t- it, this one has taken, it is a longer book, but it has taken me longer to write than Lemon. 
and it's you know it's that it's that second album isn't yeah, it, isn't it? So, yeah. so you know I, look I hope people enjoy it I hope it, it's it sparks some well I've got interesting no thoughts doubt and conversations I mean, we're chatting here two weeks before the launch itself during F week as you look ahead how are you feeling about the launch good you know I'm, I'm excited I've, I've tipped over from that sort of from anxiety to excitement because uh, well, that's what you have to do they're physiologically yes. very similar aren't they <laughs> and you know as you see the the proofs of the book you see a project coming together and it and it and it's well it is very, also very a thing good. of beauty and i believe it's gone to the printers as well hasn't it it's, well i hope so yes it's it's it, we're having a few problems sourcing paper at the moment as with anything you know we're having to order stuff in from Italy and will it get here in time but no I think everything's everything's happening so oh, that's uh, wonderful that's wonderful to hear. well maybe as a, as, as a tease for everyone listening could you could you read me the front cover of your book because it, it really does in a magical way convey the essence of the book itself okay well the book as I said is called look out the eye that stares unblinking makes for rather uncomfortable viewing doesn't it We see a lot of it in advertising these days, but why? And why doesn't advertising seem to make us laugh anymore? In this stimulating book, Orlando Wood, author of The Much Lauded Lemon, argues that it is because, as a culture, we are turning inwards. And the danger when we turn inwards is that we end up turning on each other. So to advertisers, those words look out should serve as a warning because people feel alienated by creative work that looks inwards. What then is the secret of capturing our audience's attention? How can we create spectacle that lifts the eyes, opens the minds and warms the hearts of those we wish to persuade? Well, for that, Orlando argues, it all starts not by looking within, but by looking out. It's just one of the surprising conclusions that can be found in this eye opening book and to understand the cover fully you have to see the image on the cover now of course we're, we're recording this there's, there's no visuals to go there's with no it but, but describe describe what well, you're looking at well imagine it looks like one of those classic vw ddb ads much like lemon but there is a picture of a single eye in the middle instead of the brain this time and underneath it just says look out so there is a focus on the eye, and that's that's really a, main, a big part of the book, is showing how in times of, you know, that follow technological advances, and I look at two periods in history where this has happened before, you get this sort of different way of thinking emerging in society and culture, a, a more linear way of thinking that more associated with the left brain. But you also get something which is associated with the left brain, brain emerging too and that's the stare so you get this sort of stare in the creative arts some years before you know you you see in one case the reformation happen in another case of course with the avant-garde the first world war and then the period of detachment that followed and that led to the second world war actually and this 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 stare which you see in self-portraits but this sort of really quite unsettling, you know, penetrating gaze that you get in the work of Dürer, for instance, in about 1500, or in Malevich, you know, avant-garde painter in about 1912, 1910. This stare signals other things, you know, that are not quite right with society, that things 
are not are not good. When you look at the stare, and the stare is very different from a look. You know, a look mm. kind of caresses and is sort of grounded in the body, and you know, it's kind of consensual in a way. But the stare isn't. The stare like picks picks an object up and and sort of grasps it and scrutinizes it and analyzes it and and seeks to control it. Mm. And the stare is, you know, it's kind of a sign of of both fear and aggression at the same time as Ian McGilchrist said it's not it's not really designed it's not really noted for building bridges with people <laughs> and you know when you look at advertising today look at culture more broadly look at art today you can see this sort of stare emerging today as well mm. it suggests um three things as I talk about in the book it suggests there's a sense of detachment in the world so people are sort of detaching from culture around, it suggests when this staring attention takes over, you get this kind of loss of vitality. You see it in the art of Cranach in the 16th century. You see it, you know, in, in the work of the avant-garde as well. And you get this sort of adversarial stance too, this sort of desire to shock, to mock, to provoke. And, you know, a sort of aggression takes over. And aggression is more associated with the left hemisphere because it's, I mean, what we've done, really, you know, and I talk about why this happens, but, you know, when, when, when with this narrowing of attention that you get when, when, when the, the right hemisphere doesn't help to ground us in the world anymore, you get this sort of aggression because, you know, the, the left brain is, is more, I suppose, attuned to it. It's more sensitive to dopamine, which is the, the thing that, the hormone that is associated with seeking and reward, which we built into the technological world we live in today yeah, by course, the, the internet yeah. so seeking and reward and the thing that and that dopamine also is associated with aggression and so you get this sort of ag, you know aggressive adversarial stance certainly emerging today i don't think any of us would disagree well, that, i think that's you know, one of the profound things about your book is because you know, you're talking about advertising but you're not you're yeah. talking about culture I'm talking about you? culture and you look at some of the society some of the challenges we have in society and even the headlines we read you can see as a consequence of what you've just yes. described of looking in and, you know, the aggression of that, that comes from wanting to control yeah. things and so on. Yeah. It, it kind of, you see that playing out in so many walks of life, don't you? You do. And that, and that's, that's really why the, partly why the book is called Look Out yeah. because we, we do need to be careful. And, you know, I think advertising can play a role in this and advertising that is, you, you know, that, I mean, you obviously have to be slightly provocative in advertising, but advertising that, that, that sometimes it's starting to look like art from these two periods. And I show, I show yeah. how this is, this is the case, actually. You know, you know, the kind of the work of Cranach and the work of Giorgio de Chirico, you know, this sort of you can see it. You Literally, can, you, you can, can see it. Yeah. In the, in it's the, quite stunning, in, actually, it, how, how similar. And you, yeah. you do this in the book very well. Yeah. And of course, you know, hopefully people listening in will order a copy and be able to see it for themselves. But you look at, you know, you look at the examples from the art world side by side with advertising and it, it's freakily similar. Yeah, I mean, it's really evocative and yeah. of those periods and echoes of those periods. And of course, those periods ended up, you know, in conflict and 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 and, and well, the Reformation and and the 180 years of, yes. of, of, of conflict across Europe that that sort of created before a new pragmatism sort of returned, eventually. And then, you know, also the First World War, and even indeed even the Second World War. You know, well, that's that that, that that's the, one of the striking, profound things reading your book. Actually, is it, it's 
it's a little bit scary. It if is, if, if it I is. can say that, it and, is. and, and it is. the good news, by the way, so keep listening, people. Yeah. It, there end, is it ends well. It ends well. Yeah. You know, and, and Orlando's got lots of good advice and 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 the, the the map to the way out, as it were, sort of thing. But the, the echoes in history mm. with the sort of period we're in now and the technological revolution we're going now. You compare that to Reformation, yeah. printing press, or yeah. you know, before the First World War, is quite quite striking, isn't it? And that's it is, and that's you know, I think you have to look. The reason I look back at those two periods in particular is because, as historian Neil Ferguson puts it, you know, you, we're experiencing a technological disruption to the public sphere, which has not been seen really before. Well, and you have to look back to the printing press to about, you know, 1450, 1500 to understand the kind of effects on society that, that mm. mass printing and publication, you know, create i mean you look back at that period fake news is not new by the way but you know <laughs> yes. you look back at you look back at that period and of course the, the 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 printing presses were used to publish and print the bible but it was more than the bible that they were used for they were used for printing code books to identify witches which were very popular of course and that didn't end well and then you've got you've also got things that you know were published things were published talking about the end of the world you know the apocalypse the imminent apocalypse around 1500 people thought you know it's 500 years or well, 1500 years after christ it's the return of christ you know this is so there was this sense of the last days that was mm. encroaching on, on society it wasn't a, was not a happy time to be around really but you see this in the stare of Jura around 1500 you know 17 years before you get the reformation and and you you can see in his artwork and others from the period Bosch and others this sense of aggression but also this sort of loss of vitality over time too mm. and then you look at the the you know the the industrialization of the late 19th century i mean massive industrialization technological advances too and we got the aeroplane we got you know the motor car we got the x-ray we got photography and film you know all of these things happening around the same time einstein's theory of relativity you know all of these things change our sort of perceptions and are a bit disorientating actually on a psychological level but at that you know you get this you get this sort of uh, increase in mental illness in the time you know loss of sense of community people move to the towns and cities you know and uh, you get this you can see it in art again yeah. you know this sort of in both periods actually this kind of reducing people to to look a bit like dolls or mannequins you know or puppets without expression in their faces and i mean even more marked in in the in the in modernism of course you know and you get sort of things that look visibly fragmented and that's that's you know we're sort of seeing aspects of both of those periods today because this the internet and the world wide web is of course a publication a means of publishing things on a on a massive technological industrial scale and it, it again is changing habits of thinking, and it perhaps I think explains why, you know, things are as they are it today. It really, really does. And, and the link back to mental health, of course, you know, we are, yes. you know, if you look at the amount of mental health challenges people are having, a, a lot of it is connected. It, isn't it? it is a sense of detachment, I think, that you get. Mm. I mean, if you, I look in the book, there's one, a couple of charts I show with with Google Trends data. I look for, you know, the search terms. 
anxiety yes. and humour in both the UK and the US. You could do the same thing with the term funny as well. But if, if you look at that, then it's clear from about 2009, 2010, a massive upsurge mm. in people looking for things to do with anxiety and humour. They sort of cross over. You they know, do, don't they? Humour goes yeah. the other way. Humour's going you know, the other way, Humour goes the other way. And, you know, the right brain is what gives us our sense of humour. Yeah. It helps us to tell joke between jokes and lies. And so you see that, that drop-off at the same time as anxiety is increasing. We, we feel often feel anxious when, you know, we don't feel grounded in the world and the culture around us. Yeah. Detachment and isolation, of course, makes that worse. You know, it you does. Get, you yeah. get, people get very fearful and aggressive when they're in isolation. And that's, I think, what we saw quite a bit happening. I mean, it's remarkable we're all doing as well as we are. But, you know, in lockdown, <laughs> yes. you know, you, you get, you, we got that a bit, I think, after a while. And that's, that, that's also, I think, you know, you, you know your, your book was needed before the pandemic. It's even more needed now. Well, it? I just, think it's it sort of like, like, as with digital acceleration, yes. you know, because the pandemic has it accelerated. It has accelerated all uh, those, all and those look, trends. I'm not, I'm not anti-technology. Don't get, I'm just pro-human. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and I, I sort of, you know, I mean, technology is brilliant, you know, and it, and it enables us to do so many wonderful things and i say in the book you know it's an, it's a source of competitive advantage you know it really mm. really has been essential for businesses in this period you know those that have embraced it have have done brilliantly but at the same time it does seem to have a human cost sometimes and it can lead to sort of you know some of these sort of the, the, the more antisocial aspects of the left brain, yeah. shall we say, yeah. which uh, which I ha didn't fully explore in Lemon, but which, you know, I, I think I go into you do, with the new yeah. book. Let's talk about attention as well, because you know, in the beginning of the book, you, you, you explain the different styles of attention and why they're important. Can yes. you just describe those? Yes. Well, it, again, it, it, you know, really grounded in McGilchrist's book and his, you know, his description of attention. And he talks about the two hemispheres of the brain having different modes of attention. I, I've touched upon this in Lemon, but I go into more detail here. And I say, you know, I, I sort of use his work to, to explain that you've got kind of two types, broadly speaking, of attention. There's broad beam attention, which is sort of, you know, a peripheral uh, attention, you know, alerting us to what's out there, if you like, as Ian McGilchrist puts it. And then you've got this narrow beam attention, which is sort of focused very goal-focused or focused attention. And this, this broad-beam attention, you know, encompasses things like alertness, a sustained attention, both of which, you know, really ground us in the world. And then there's uh, vigilance, looking out for things that are new, and divided attention. And these four things, which are all part, all make up broad-beam attention, as I describe it, they're all dealt with by the right brain, by the right hemisphere. And the right brain... See, presents the world as it is to the left brain so that the left brain can sort of process it and unpack it and bring its narrower beam attention to bear on things. So it's like, you, you know, you always see the wood before you see the trees. Mm. And, you know, you kind of... But, but when, when left brain attention becomes, you know, dominant, when we become a bit too narrow, we lose, we lose the sight of the wood and we can only see the trees. And, in fact, you can see this in a lot of advertising today is that, you know, whereas we might have seen broad and open vistas, you know, in the past, a lot of advertising today really, really close, close up. up, isn't it? Yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. literally looking at uh, ABV levels on a yeah. can, you yeah. know, 0.0% or something, you know, really close up. And, and that's, that's the left brain in action. You know, it's, it's really narrow. So, so 
actually these two types of attention, broad beam and narrow beam attention, the way the brain works also explains the two types of advertising mm. that we have, which is brand building advertising, you know, which has to capture our broad beam attention. And then, you know, the, once the broad beam attention's job is done, you know, it passed, we, it's more important, you know, that type of advertising. It's then passed to the sort of activation advertising, which gives you, brings you a little bit closer up to the product and perhaps, you know, explains it for people who are in the buying window at that mm. moment. The, the problem is that broad beam brand building advertising, I mean, I suppose the, the way it works is that it assumes no inher inherent interest in the product. In fact, it works best when it assumes no inherent That's interest the irony, in the product. Isn't it? Yeah. And, and, you know, so you, 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 have, you have something that is just interesting to people. Howard Gossage, I'm paraphrasing him here, but, you know, he said to people, people watch what interests them and sometimes it's advertising. And that's the mm. sort of mentality you have to have when you're creating brand building advertising that appeals to that broad beam attention. And so at a later point, you know, when you're in the person's in the buying window, you know, that brand will come to mind first. Yeah. The, the other thing that I do in the book is I, I explain that the, the right brain is also better connected to our limbic system, which is our experience of gives us our experiences of emotion, and it also it's also what gives us what tells us you know the gives us a sense of the emotional import of any of our experiences. So it's it's responsible for experiential memory. You know what what, what it's it sort of our our. Our, our memory for things, for, for people and, and, and moments, you know. Whereas the left brain is responsible only for bits of, you know, sort of yeah. pieces of information, if you yes. like, that yes. are in the public domain, you yeah. know. You know, what, what temperature is it, you know, uh, in Dubai today or something. You know, it's a very different, very different sort of memory. It's called semantic memory. Yeah. So, so that's the importance of the right brain. So you, need, so you need advertising that's going to sort of elicit an emotional response, capture attention, and then also mark things in in memory in the flesh you know that's the job of brand building advertising. and of course you know a small plug for system one of course there um emotional response is important isn't it yes uh, and in yeah, fact I mean, vital for the broad capturing the broad yeah, attention so that's right emotion does three things in my view you know money more probably but it it orientates our attention first of all uh, secondly, it, it sort of helps us to encode things in our in our memory, long term memory, and then th thirdly, you know that that posi hopefully positive memory encoding makes it really easy to make decisions between things in the future, mm. and it, it brings them forth in your mind before anything else. You know, so it will bring your brand forth. You know, make it more salient. Salient comes from the Latin word salire to leap to leap to mind and that's what that's what that's what brand building advertising is supposed to do hmm. that's really helpful and th there's also quite a quite a powerful chart isn't there in this in this chapter looking at the difference in attention between different channels as well and and, and again yeah. it, it kind of makes sense but it's quite stark when you see how different channels perform in attention can you describe that yes Yes, so I talk. This is in chapter four, isn't it? I think we've, we're on now. We talk in. Uh, we talk about. I, I, I sort of show. I use data. Actually, I need to thank Ubiquity for this data. That looks at the average length of time that people watch advertising for, 
on TV and then on YouTube, on Facebook and other 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 uh, channels. And TV, you know, a, a kind of typical 30-second ad will probably give you about 14 seconds worth of, of attention, whereas it drops in, in these other channels to probably somewhere between three and four seconds. You know, you don't have very long to make an impression. And I ask the question, what, you know, what difference can creative make to that, you know, very short window? And the answer is it can make a difference, but can it make enough of a difference to do the job of brand building? Mm. And, you know, I, I come out in the end to say that, you know, it can, these can be helpful channels for supporting the business of brand building. And they can give you some brand building effect, you know, by themselves. But really, they're best used in conjunction with broad reach media, such as TV. And those things together give you the best, you know, the best chance of creating these long and lasting business effects. Yeah, definitely. That's that's, that's really 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 impactful because i guess guess, you know the the classic you know funnel followers you know (laughs) we talk about bottom of the funnel it's all about direct response and 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 you know very i suppose they're being left-brained about it aren't they they're going the role of that is to convert people therefore we must serve up all these product messages in a very you know punchy way kind of thing but actually what i thought was quite challenging quite rightly about what you talk about is, is is the role of you can brand you know build brand in feed advertising and digital advertising as well because not everybody is buying at that moment are they mm. oh that's true i mean it tends to be used in that way you know buying against an, an audience so that so that you know you it tends to be used more for targeted audiences than broad reach doesn't it and but you what you find is that in in feed in particular is particularly challenging mm. for holding attention. I think pre-roll is 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 a is a bit yeah. better. You've got a bit longer. To you have you've got a few exactly. Them, yeah. But and actually, some some brands doing some really interesting work with pre-roll. I was looking at some Geico ads the other day that were sort of five five seconds long, very humorous and and very clever. You mm. know, I thought terrific. You know, this is great to see. But it it is it is more challenging, and. You know, one of the questions I ask in the book is, well, with with a lot of budgets going towards online video and and away from TV, and with TV companies themselves looking more and more at addressable targeting, you know, opportunities, where is the stage for our brand building show? Indeed. Well, that's, yeah, that's of course, a, as we know from our friend Paul Feldwick. Yeah, and is, Paul, is a, Paul has this wonderful, wonderful line, phrase, which I borrow, yeah. you know, and, and I, I thank him for, you know, that, that brand building advertising is like putting on a show, yeah. you know, one that, that with a spectacle. And, you know, so where's the stage? It's disappearing. It uh, is. And, you know, what will we do? Because because in this technologically disrupted world, and this is one of the points I make very early on in the book, is is that brand building advertising becomes more important, not less. You know, you need to make sure that your brand comes to mind before you, to, for someone looking for a looking for a you know a, your type of product. So rather than doing a generic search on Google, you know they'll type in I don't know Audi for instance. Yeah. You know all the work that Les and Peter have done shows that brand building advertising becomes more important for online businesses more in line for more important for subscription businesses research you know based categories 
high growth categories, brand building is more important. You know, you should be investing as well, that, much that, as that, 75% that, exactly. of Exactly, and that's on one that. of the big, big headlines, I think, of this. And it, of course, the irony is, I mean, going back to some work that we did with Tom Roach on on scaling up without screwing up, where we, we saw the, the trap that online, you know, digital first brands mm. have when they go on TV for the first time is carrying over some of those kind of direct response methods. That's the right. more left brain stylers, yep. yep. as you would call them, when they on onto TV. But actually, you know, so, so again, there's an opportunity for them there. But if you flip it the other way, even in pre-rollers you show, actually it's emotion and right brain they, they kind do, of advertising. That's, that's what people tend to be watching. Is if, actually, they're, if they're watching exactly. Beyond 5 Seconds. Yeah, yeah. If, if, any chance of getting them to watch Beyond 5 yeah. Seconds, you've got to be doing actually yeah. the techniques that are more commonly seen on TV or right yeah. brain kind of uh, things that actually sustain attention even in a pre-roll environment. Yes, yes. Well, we don't, we, you know, we, what, what I think you're, you're absolutely right. It, you know, you see, you're seeing this, these carryover effects, as I call them, and you get these carryover effects when the, you know, these new habits of thinking start to take hold and it's the only way that people look at things. So, so you, people cutting their teeth on, on their, you know, for the, for the first time doing advertising, perhaps as a, a new startup business, probably a new tech business. I don't know. And then when they make that leap to TV, they tend to bring all of those ways of thinking with them. And TV doesn't really work like that. Mm. You know, it's a broad reach medium. And, you know, you've got to appeal to you've got to appeal to the broad beam attention you of do, viewers, yeah. you know, because it's it, 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 I mean, it's, it's less. But I think, I, think that, I think that's the surprising ne next step on, on top of what you said there is that. It, that's true of going on TV, but it's actually you need to reverse that logic you as might, well. You, you may uh, well be benefit from that. And, and actually you'll benefit from a bit of TV thinking. If you're trying to build a if brand. If you're trying to build a brand yeah. in the digital space as well. And I yeah. thought that was, the, that was the thing that I hadn't maybe thought of until now, that even in the supposedly bottom of the, bottom of the funnel environments, most people are still not necessarily yes. in the market now and you need to be appealing to their broad beam you yes, know, if you, that's right. I mean, if, if you know, I look at the, I look at. Um, in fact, we we did some work with Facebook, which I've uh, written up in the book, looking at you know the types of uh, effects that you can see with left and right brain advertising with, and you know, it's the right brain ads that are slightly more likely to hold you know attention and 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 even in that quite goal orientated yeah. narrow at beam attention yeah. environment because people are scrolling through their feeds well, that, that's, you know, pro that's probably your toughest test it's tough it? a it's facebook tough. feed it's is really going to be your yeah. you know your toughest stage yeah. on which to it perform is, it is it's a quite is. Paul Velbert, is it a stage it? what is it well, it's a it, narrow it's a very thing. small it's a very stage. small it's a step it's a soapbox but you yeah work that soapbox pretty hard yes so it's 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 you're right you're right and but what was interesting working with them and and they too were interested in this was you know you have to you you do have to adhere really in some way to their brilliant basics guidelines yeah. but that with the advertising with emotional response and that adheres to the brilliant basics guidelines is much more likely to generate, you know, brand awareness lift, if you like. So, and the, the, a further evidence that emotional response translates into into a sort of salience kind of measure. And I would urge people to look at, at that that aspect of their brand lift measure, the brand, you know, the brand awareness measure, if they're trying to determine whether they've seen brand you know brand 
I suppose, the effects of their brand building advertising. Yeah. And I think that really should really be pulled out of, of their brand lift or, or, or highlighted in some way to say, look, this is the measure to look at if you're trying to build a brand on Facebook. So, so we talked about, you know, the, the, the role of attention, the importance of, of capturing attention in the broad beam as well as the narrow beam and the role emotion can mm. play and so on. And, and, and also how in online environments that is, is as important as well to be doing as well as, as offline and TV. In Chapter 5, you've got some really powerful insights into how to do it. Haven't you? Yes. And, well, and I, I hope you know, so. We, you know, let, let's get to some of the, you know, yeah. some of the kind of exciting. What can you do yes. to create the kind of engagement that leads to attention, that leads to business yeah. results, as it were? And a number of fascinating things in this chapter, really. But you, you talk, I mean, you talk about the loss of vitality and the loss of betweenness. So explain what you mean by that, and some, some what, what kinds of advertising yes. do that well? Yeah. So, so chapter five is the chapter four. I've sort of given some evidence to show the sorts of features that hold attention, that drive, you know, that drive emotional response, and the business effects that they create. You know, market share gain, profit gain, so on. In chapter five, I say, well, okay, well, what? How do we do it? How do we go about it? And I start with some very, I suppose, very basic but fundamental building blocks and they, they start with an appreciation of uniqueness appreciation of uniqueness of human character and you know because it's only it's in the unique that we that we create some sort of connection or emotional response and actually in uniqueness also lies believability we believe things that are highly unique. You know, this is one of the lessons that Chuck Jones learnt. That he's, you know, the director, animator of Looney Tunes cartoons. He learnt very early on in childhood is that in uniqueness lies believability. In uniqueness and also ordinariness sometimes as well. So, you know, a character stubbing their toe on a nail, for instance, you know, a very ordinary thing like that is actually a great way to connect with people. Mm. But anyway, he, yeah, so so in uniqueness and human uniqueness, and he, he gives examples, by the way, of, you know, when he was a, a child, his, his uncle, Lynn, I think it was, would tell him tall stories about, you know, the swordfish strangler from San San Diego, I think it was, and this this man, you know, who was, I mean, who's ever heard of a swordfish strangler? But but he said, and the swordfish strangler who 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 uh, he was the only ever only swordfish strangler he'd ever heard by the name of Wiltford. And this strange these strange stories, but the, in that uniqueness and believability, you know, there was that believability, and 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 actually it sticks in your memory. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. You know. I mean, how many people have you heard talk about swordfish dragons? Well, it's like meerkats with Russian accents. Yes, I mean, yes, <laughs> what, exactly. You, know, it, it's, so, you can imagine that in a creative yeah. presentation. Like we're going we're to talk about insurance by using meerkats with a Russian well, accent. I quite, mean, you know, you know, and now we sit here and we're all giggling at the, yeah, at the advert. Yeah, but, yeah. And it sticks in our mind. So, so uniqueness, human uniqueness, really important. Mm. But also above that, human movement. So yeah. movement holds our attention, but it also seeks to dramatize the significance of a moment so i'll give an, exa an example of this the yorkshire tea ad with sean bean you know when he walks into the into the into the the room of new starters and he's about to address them and he sort of it's as if he's drawing a sword it's a pointer for the for the you know for the powerpoint but he sort of and there's the noise of him drawing a sword but the, in this movement and this drama human movement you know mm suddenly everyone's looking and you know people have looked up you know and it's that it's it's that movement that's really important but beyond movement and uniqueness there's also betweenness so the way that people connect you know when when two people sort of look at each other or connect in some way it's like 
something else is created. You know, there's mm. there's a sort of there's another thing, and in those brief moments, the you know, transients, if you like, that pass really quickly, there is something very fundamental and very eternal that mm. is established. So transients and the eternal, the unique movement betweenness you know those are the sort of they're the sort of very basic building blocks that I talk about in chapter five before I move on to talk about character and how you develop a character drawing on some of the lessons yeah. of Chuck, Chuck Jones who's brilliant and how you focus on those moments of connection the, the bits that you feel the most strongly you know they're the sort of key frames if you like and I talk also about humor and I go into some detail on humour and give examples. Or well, the death of humour. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, here I'm trying to show Or the need how, for humour. I mean, I, I'm trying... I the serious case for humour yeah, it is. Orlando it Woods, is. I mean, I, yes. draw, I draw on the work of a philosopher. Not many philosophers give it much attention, but Henri Bergson, who wrote the book Laughter or Le Rire, 100 years ago, at a time of autumn, you know, autumn, <laughs> a bit like today, he, he talks about how humour actually is a way of poking fun at rigidity. Mm. And that the movement is sort of humor's friend, you know, rigidity is and, and that rigidity that comes with the left brain. And he doesn't mention the left brain. That's my interpretation. And so, it, you know, what 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 it is, is it, it tends to have a mechanicity to to. to to, to humor there's a poking fun at, at, at things that are repeated you know humor comes from repetition things that you know where where which suggest a machine in some way you know someone who goes back on what they've just said is like putting a machine into reverse you know yeah um, a duplication of people so two people who look exactly the same or you know when mimicry for instance is 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 really where it feels as if some some sort of automaticity has crept into the soul of a person such that you know someone who does something similarly the same way again and again you know it's very easy to mimic that and and it and it's poking fun at rigidity and that's what humor really mm. is you know i talk about a lot in all it's lots of different ways you know seeing things from two points of view you know or there are all, all sorts of ways in which humor can be used in advertising but not just to get a laugh in one ad but to structure a whole campaign you know so that it's the same sort of idea that is repeated again and again and again and that's how long term you know you make a long well of course to, to quote Yorkshire Tea or the Meerkats again that, that that's what they've done so well isn't it they, they, they've created the platform yeah they've created the joke they've oh well they've set up the you know they've set up the you know the joke yes. and then they can play on that again and again and because it taps into our emotion we remember it we recall it it comes uh, to mind easily and quickly, doesn't it? Absolutely right. I mean, it's he gives almost the perfect definition of a fluent device, yes. you know, in his in his book, and it, it is that repetition through through or putting people in in ever new situations, but expecting them to behave in a pretty similar way. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's that it, that's what a fluent device really is. Yeah. So. So I talk a lot about humor and I give some examples from advertising about how you know humor can be used and I talk about. Bathos, you know, when you start with something that seems very serious and solemn, and then actually you sort of whip the rug from under people because it's actually, you know, it's actually not 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 as solemn as you first thought. And and anyway, I hope it's helpful because I talk about comedy of language. I talk about how that's used in advertising. I talk about comedy of sound and how you sound effects in advertising. Drawing again on mm. Looney Tunes and those things which sort of make us feel like we've connected in some way well, one, one thing that struck me as well in that section the details 
as well. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, you're talking about quite big features of advertising, but you also talk about colour grading or, 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 oh, or yes. little details yeah. that might be... Yeah, well, I t- I, the... the I mean, I, I, I talk about, I, so I go on, I talk about celebrity as well and how to use a celebrity well in the humour, you know, just after the humour section. And then I talk about music and colour. And music is really a sort of a, a way of amplifying feeling. It's a way of, you know, making us feel something. And also, you know, what's too silly to be said can be sung. <laughs> and uh, you That's know, a good phrase. so you 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 end up with you know, and, and you think of all the ads that probably we grew up with, John. You know, the trio ads and the trio, trio, and and the sort of if you like a lot of chocolate on your biscuit, join our club. You know, the, the particularly song is associated with the right hemisphere. In fact, it's quite interesting when when you're sometimes people who have strokes and have a, a left hemisphere lesion. Left hemisphere deals with language. Typically, it's still pe- people who've had that um, unfortunate, you know, experience. They can still sing. They can still sing songs mm. or remember songs, because it's in, it's more associated with the the right hemisphere. So so music and particularly song in advertising is a way of connecting with the right hemisphere and this broad beam attention. Mm. So I talk a bit about music, and then I also talk about, as you say, color. In in the fi- pretty much the final section in that chapter, and we we did a, a fascinating experiment w- with Cheat, who are a color grading uh, company, and with with the and thanks to VCCP and 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 Cadbury's for this too, but we took one of their ads and we color graded it in different ways, and. It's remarkable the the sort of the difference that you can get in in feeling you know between a color grade that is cool, which a lot of film and advertising today you know looks kind of monochromatic almost it's like a cold permafrost has sort of descended on things <laughs> between that cool and a sort of a, a warm sort of more romantic color grading with grain and diffusion effects, you know, that sort of softens things a little bit. We saw a massive difference. This, this same ad in emotional response, you know, in, in our language, the difference between, two, I think it was 2.7 and 3.9 or something on emotional wow. response. For the, same, rating for the same film. The same film, the same with, film with different colour grading. That's astonishing. And, and diffusion and mm. grain effects. And so, you know, because film, old-fashioned film, it 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 relied on lighting. You know, it was a chemical thing. It relied on lighting, the director's eye, you know, all those things. But but digital film, you know, it it's pretty uniform in the in the kind of effect that it achieves. And it's so now it's in color grading that you you can add those effects later, you know, and that you can create that sort of feel. Otherwise, you can end up sometimes with quite austere looking mm. work. So it enables you to connect, like 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 music, to amplify feeling. But yeah. also, what was interesting in that—I just say this—that in that in those two different versions of the ad, the warm color grading ad evoked spontaneous associations with, you know, poetic sense of sort of community, f- people, and, and connection, and you know, whereas the the cold one was was you know loneliness. Yeah, you know, people not wanting to watch. You know, it felt it felt like it was alienating. Yeah, people. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? Because it's like you look at the stare 
versus the betweenness, you yes. know, the, the, the people touching or yeah. being close. And you feel completely different, don't you, when you're looking at that. You take the, you know, the rhythmic soundtrack versus the uplifting orchestral, yes. you know, piece and, and you feel the difference there. You do. And the colour grading, you feel cold and isolated in one, you feel happy and joyful in another. It, it's in, and this is something I know we find kind of with our System 1 work is the difference those things can make to how people feel. And we know that how people feel, you know, dictates yes, what they, yeah. whether they remember it, comes to mind easy, all the things we talked about before. Creates the right kind of associations. I mean, it it's, does, like, it's yeah. like a metaphor. Yes, of course, you know, associations like a meta, well. It's yeah. like a metaphor, so yeah. as is music, you know. Mm. It communicates things on a, on a meta level that can't, can't be done through words, you mm. know. It sort of, it, it gives you, it's sort of, exp- it's something that only the right brain can yes. pick up on. Now, now, now to, co- to coin a bit of a phrase from the last 18 months, in these unprecedented times, of course, what's happened, hasn't it, in the last, you know, we've lost our sense of humour. We, we've, had, we've had to become very serious about a whole lot of things that, you know, we weren't as serious about before. We've, we've experienced a level of isolation and lost the betweenness that, you know, we know is really, really important sort of thing. So, again, in your book, you, you, you did an interesting study looking at how the same advertising mm. has, res- has worked post the pandemic as well and that, that had some interesting nuance to it as well didn't it in it terms did of- yeah it's, it's the very final section isn't it and i talk about i hope i'm not getting this isn't not too many spoilers here for this no no no, no so don't worry this is uh, going out after the book yeah through. great, so by, great. By the everyone book, will have read it by the you know, time you, they've you heard need, this you do need to look at this book to appreciate <laughs> it i should just uh, just to just to kind of reverse up here it's it a lot of it is in the visual it really is actually the, the visuals actually just to give another plug for you it, it is incredibly arresting and really makes the point and in addition, the, the charts, of course, land the data with precision and impact as well. Well, thank you, John. That's very, very kind of you to say so. In case anyone was unsure about buying the book <laughs> after listening, <laughs> just so you've got it. It's a, yeah. it's, a, it's a worthy investment. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yes. It, it's many books in one, I should it, also it, say. Well, it, it sort of is, actually. It's yeah. five books in one. Yeah, yeah. it is. Yes, you were, you were making the point that... Well, I pandemic. What's happened to pandemic? pandemic? Yes, Come on, yes. this, this, this is interesting. Yeah, so we we tested that system one. We tested a hundred ads we, as we normally do because we test ads as they air before the pandemic hit, and then we retested those ads a year later. You know, which was about nine months into the pandemic, and we saw the scores on average go up a little bit, but they went up much much more for the for the right-brained advertising. You know, the advertising that had characters that had a fluent device that had these, you know, had all these right brain features. And, you know, so even in times of crisis, and especially in times of crisis, actually, this yeah. sort of right brain advertising is important. One of the things I show earlier in the book is how using the IPA's effectiveness data is that right brain advertising establishes trust, establishes brand trust, brand esteem, and... I think we're probably in need of that at the moment. We are. And, and you know, that, that is exactly the point. And, and because I think a lot of advertisers made completely the wrong decision during COVID, which is we need to get serious and we need to reflect mm. what's happening in society. People don't want reflection. They want escape. They don't want to be reminded. And I think that's the trap that people got into. And I'm not surprised at all that well, it was people are responding of, better. To, yeah, I mean, the, 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 I suppose the... You saw a lot of advertising which which told people, you know, to stay indoors and showed empty streets, didn't you? And and, and people didn't really like that, unsurprisingly, no. and didn't really connect with it. Whereas the the advertising that was trying to help in some way and show show some sort of positive, you know, contribution from brands did. 
It did, quite right. Now let's round off with the dog and cone, shall <laughs> oh, we? Yes. Because you have you have a lovely little flourish. Yes, um, it's on the back it, cover. On actually. the back cover, actually, which I think wonderfully illustrates the kind of the essence of the book. But but yeah, tell me the dog and cone story. Well, I I was writing the book and I'd been thinking about you know broad beam and narrow beam attention and and what it you know what it all meant. And anyway, I went out for a walk. And I was walking along the street just outside my house and a woman walked past me with her dog. And suddenly the dog jumped up at me and on its back hind legs, you know, really loud barking, very aggressive. And the woman, you know, was sort of pulling it back on its leash. And she said, she said, sorry about that. He's he's normally fine. It's, It's the cone. And I thought, it's the cone. Because the dog was wearing a veterinary cone, Mm. you know, one of those cones of shame, as they call them, like an Elizabethan rough collar, (laughs) you know. And I thought, yes, of course. And and it's true, you know, you you can read about it. Studies have been done to show this, that one of the reasons they get aggressive when they wear a cone is because their, their peripheral attention has gone. So with the narrowing of attention comes fear and aggression and you look at how long we spend on our mobile devices every day you know on average three hours a day looking at our phones and you look at the way that attention has narrowed in the last 20 years or so in this technological age and you can't help feeling that this fear and aggression that's around today has a great deal to do with it. I think you might be right, and what a perfect way to, to round this off. So if people want to buy the book, hopefully they do, having, having listened to, to, well, to the conversation, where can they find the book? They can find the book on the IPA's website. It's published again by the IPA, and it will also be available on Amazon. So but do go, go look out for it. it. Look out for it, indeed. <laughs> we couldn't, couldn't resist that one. And if people want to get in touch with you, follow you, where can they find out? And you can find me on LinkedIn, and you can also get in touch with me at System One. So Fantastic. I'd love to hear from you. So, so please do. So look out for Orlando's new book, available now via the IPA and Amazon. And uh, thank you so much. It's been, uh, been brilliant to talk Absolute to you. Pleasure, and, uh, look great, forward great to chat. seeing more. Thank you. So there you have it. That's Mr. Orlando Wood talking about his brand new book, Look Out. Now, if you'd like to get a copy, head straight on over to the IPA's website or alternatively, you can buy it on Amazon. It really is £50 very, very well spent. If you'd like to get in contact with Orlando, he's at System One and you can also follow him on LinkedIn. If you'd like to keep in touch with me, please do so. I'm at Uncensored CMO on Twitter or you can find me on LinkedIn under John Evans. And if you'd like to give me a review, please do head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave me a rating and a review. I'd love you to do that. It's always great to have some feedback on the podcast. And any ideas for guests, drop me a little email, let me know, and I'll be delighted to hear your suggestions. So thanks for listening and uh, look forward to you joining me on the next episode.